0: we mm-hmm. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 171 of X-Last. It's uh, crazy to consider, but we're just uh, getting real close to another milestone episode here. Uh, I'm sure there will be nothing special to discuss during our 175th show, but hey, it's a it's a milestone, and in this life, there's so little to celebrate. We got to take what we can get. Speaking of which, uh, today we've got an issue of X-Men. It's X-Men Volume 5, Number 18. The, uh, what, third to last issue? Fourth to last issue? I don't know. It's it's ending soon. It's uh, April 2021 cover date. The story's called Inside the Vault. Written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Mahmoud Azrar. Colors, Sonny Go. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Bisa White, Cebulski. I feel like I said all of that out of cadence. Um, cover price, $4, went on sale February 24 of 2021. Now, we open with a shot of the exterior of the vault. If you remember, it's the uh, wrecked, seated sentinel from uh, Cassandra Nova's attack on Genosha way back in New X-Men one 14 14-ish? Uh, now, Sink is delivering the narration here, and he veers into the purple a time or two, but mostly keeps it on point. Now he, along with X-23, or Wolverine, and Darwin, have been sent inside to determine the level of threat that the children of the Vault might pose to Mutantum. They are kind of like post-humans, and of course we know they are a no-no. The Vault itself is kind of an incubatory system here, where the children are waiting things out while evolving and advancing so that one day they might be able to take over the world, which again is a hoxpox pox no-no. Makes me wonder if uh, Mike Carey, uh, the creator of the Children of the Vault here, might have gleaned some of this from John Byrne's take on The Promise from X-Men The Hidden Years. And that also featured Tad Carter, the sort of kind of first-ever Marvel mutant. No, probably not. Uh, nobody nobody read that. And if they did, they'd already forgotten about it, because, uh, hell, I know I did. Um, anyway, we're inside the Vault, and it looks like uh, like a massive city. Sink's narration goes on to explain why it is these three, in particular, were chosen for this mission. You see, their unique powers would make them the most likely to be able to deal with the time dilation inside the vault. As we know, Darwin, as his name might suggest, can rapidly adapt to any situation. Sync is able to piggyback any mutant ability, you know, he copies other people's abilities. And X-23 is all about survival, so... Stands to reason they'd be a good trio to send, despite the fact that I don't believe... I'm not even sure any of these characters ever met before this mission. Now, when they went into the vault, way back in... I want to say X-Men number 5, which we discussed way back in episode 42. It was October 16th of 2020. Boy, we were all so young back then. Now, when they went inside, I assumed that they were going to be gone for like one panel. Maybe one page but then return altered and or aged, right? Like, a moment in real time is actually a number of years inside the vault sort of thing. Where, yes, we'd eventually learn about what happened inside, but these three would already be back, if you follow. It's kind of like how they showed Spider-Man with his new black costume in Amazing 252, but we didn't find out exactly how he got it until, like, almost a year later during Secret Wars, right? Because... Secret was happened in a blink, but the story was told over the course of a year It would not seem that this is the case here Ev, Laura, and uh, whatever the hell Darwin's real first name is uh, They've been gone for a good while in real time, so lord only knows how long that is in vault time Anyway, our three heroes plan out their mission And we get the impression that Sink might just have the hot pants for Laura They enter an elevator which takes them down into the vault proper Then, info page. Now, this is Sink's patient file from uh, Cecilia Reyes, where she posits that Everett came back more powerful than he was before he died, which we're going to see in action before the end of this very issue. She suggests that it might be a secondary mutation before stopping herself and claiming that this power surge might eventually be evident in many of the Kirkoan resurrectees, for now, she's going to continue observing and reporting on this phenomenon, and we will learn a little bit more about that as we go. Finally, our double-page spread of roll call and cred. here. We got Wolverine, who is X-23, of course, Darwin, and sync just the three of them. We resume with Serafina interfacing with the Vault computer, which kind of looks like a wiry mother brain from Metroid, uh, the Captain and the Game Master version especially. Now, she's hooked up to some wires, Serafina, that is, is hooked up to some wires and tested, and we learn that she's now level two. The computer then grades her mission, which I think we caught her in the act of during X-Men number one, as a failure. Now, and then it grades their threats as follows. Homo superior is primary, the non posthumans are secondary, which I would assume just means humans. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. The computer then deduces that the children will have to be at level 3 before taking on the mutants. The rest of the children lament the fact that they've got to hop back into the pot and cook some more before they can do whatever it is that they're meant to do. We see the other four children, so uh, let's meet them. Uh, To do so, we're going to have to go to the Marvel Wiki, uh, because as much as Hickman loves his info pages, we don't... Actually, get one here. Um, and to be completely honest, Serafina is the only one of them I can name on sight. So let's go through them. We've got, uh, first, we've got Sangre, uh, the former leader of the Children of the Vault. Um, his gimmick here is he can produce bubbles that surround his enemy's head. And uh, he's the white skinned guy with all the black circles all over his body, uh, For if you want to, you know, get him by sight. We got Perro. He's the team's muscle, or maybe it's Perro. Um, he can affect gravity. He's portrayed as like a big muscly dude with a short mohawk. We got Aguja. Uh, It's a blonde woman in green. Her powers are nebulously energy-based. We don't know exactly what they are. Then Fuego, and he looks kind of like Ghost Rider. Um, Probably the easiest of the five to point out in a lineup. His powers, as his name and flaming head might suggest, have to do with fire. Now, the computer indicates that there's an anomaly in the vault. And so the five children head to the elevator to meet it head-on. Only, when the elevator door opens, ain't nobody there. Fuego wasted a whole bunch of energy filling the tube with fire, and just then our heroes leap from some rafters above and attack. And I'm pretty sure Laura actually kills Serafina here. What follows is uh, a fight scene. Sink's narration waxes on about memory and how things we remember are context-based. And that's a pretty basic idea, though in fairness it's one that I don't think many of us actually stop to think about. Sink is burned up pretty badly by Fuego during the fracas. Darwin is bubble-headed by Sangre, uh, but adapts to be able to breathe. Sink then discovers that he can copy the powers of Fuego, a non-mutant, which is the first time he's able to do this. Now, if you remember, Dr. Reyes said he came back more powerful, and uh, the children are fairly shocked by this. And it looks like, just a panel or two later, that Sink has barbecued Sangre and Pero. Aguja tells the heroes that they'll pay for that, and blows herself up. Now, our closing shot is of the city with a great big green explosion going off. Now, this is all happening the first day our heroes enter the vault, by the way. And you might be wondering, did our heroes survive? Well, uh, besides Sink's narration completely undercutting the cliffhanger, uh, that's going to have to wait till next time. But yes, they did. <laughs> we got an info page to wrap things up, where Professor X waves the Murder No Man law for this mission, placing it under Force Protocol. You know, X-Force Protocol. They could do whatever the hell they want. Now, this is another case where they list the law as Murder No Man, but discuss it as though it says Murder No Human. And they justify, you know, waving this or loosening it because the children of the Vault are not human, at least not anymore. But uh, that's where we leave this issue of X-Men. Uh, next time out, we're going to dip back into our look at Marvel Voices. We're going to take a look at Marvel Voices' indigenous voices next time. Uh, there are a few stories in there that we will be focusing on, but uh, let's uh, first talk about this issue of X-Men. So where do we start? Um, well, um, I suppose I should get it out of the way that this was an absolutely gorgeous issue. Uh, Asrar and Go are killing it here. Everything looks amazing. It's just an awesome, awesome-looking book. Uh, as far as the story's concerned, uh, I mean, I didn't dislike it, but it still left me kind of wanting now, I'm not going to tell you that I was holding my breath waiting for the Children of the Vault story to resume, because that would be a lie. Uh, but it's been 12 issues and 13 months since the first part of this story took place. Now, of course, we can blame at least two of those months on the COVID hiatus, and maybe another two on the Festival of Swords, but still, this issue was a long time coming. And it was structured not so much in the, like, Claremontian bubbling subplot sort of way. This just kind of feels like a story they forgot about needing to update us on until now. And yes, I know that's not actually the case, but it just kind of feels like a half-baked afterthought. I feel like, and I really hate to say this because I have absolutely no right or insight, but to me... It feels like Hickman just isn't all that interested in writing the X Men. It's like he's doing it because he agreed to, not because he actually wants to. And again, I have zero basis from making to be making a statement like that. Uh, only the way I feel when I read his work. Oh, let me let me walk that back just a just a step or two here. I feel like he was very passionate about Hox Pox. Uh It's just that most things after that feel. I don't want to say phoned in Because they're certainly not phoned in Just uh, less passionate, maybe Just less, uh, there's less investment In these stories And of course, there have been great stories That he's written since Hoxbox. Uh Some of our very, or some of my very Favorite issues of this run here We had issue six With Mystique's POV on the Orcus Forge I thought that was a wonderful issue here We found out so much information So many questions we didn't even know We should ask Um just the next issue after that, issue 7, introduced the Crucible. Awesome issue. Awesome issue that gave us just so much food for thought. Everything else, though, just feels like either an attempted comedy or, I mean, say it with me, high-concept ideas. You know, uh, all these high-concept ideas sound interesting, but they don't feel like they're actually going anywhere. You know, X-Men, this volume, the series, has... For the most part, just been a series of Part 1s Where Part 2 may or may not actually ever happen It just feels very, very incomplete Now, I thought about going through this run of X-Men As well as Giant Size, issue by issue To just like point out some things here But I don't think it'll matter Anytime I give a criticism of Hickman's work There's always a contingent who ats me Is that what the kids call it? Atting somebody? Uh, and they at me with two words Hickman style. Which, I mean, isn't much of a defense, it's just a statement. It doesn't imply a level of quality, at least on its face. Now, early early during this run of X-Labs, I would engage with a few folks who would reply to me with Hickman style as their comeback. Which was dumb of me, because nobody in the history of the internet has ever changed anybody else's mind. Not, Not that I was trying to, I just wanted to qualify my opinion. I mean, if I went to a restaurant and ordered a Hickman-style steak, and then 18 hours later the waiter hands me a pink gum eraser with the word steak written on it? Well, I I might not be able to criticize what it is if that's what it is, but I might have cause to at least raise an eyebrow, right? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I've lost the plot here. Uh, Now, speaking of losing the plot here, let's discuss the story. Uh, What little of it there was? Uh, we learn here that the children of the Vault are slowly powering up But are not yet at the level that they need to be in order to take over the world and take down mutants But now they're all dead um, I'm going to assume that the Vault computer has its own resurrection or cloning process Considering that the same children make the cover of the next issue Not that covers matter, but I it would be weird if they didn't show up next issue Um... We got Sink's powers. They've changed a bit, and I think that might just be my main takeaway from this issue. I feel like his powers were among the more interesting back during Generation X, but he seldom seemed to use them. At least in a, uh, like a proactive or an intriguing sort of way. I mean, sure, he'd be shown running around with a rainbow over his head, but I don't think it, you know, he or it got all that much focus Though, in fairness, he may have had the least exciting look of the entire team, right? He was just a normal dude, normal-looking fella, who, when stood next to guys like Chamber or Skin or Penance or even Jubilee, kind of blends into the background. Then again, in fairness, it's been ages since I read a lot of that early Generation X stuff, so I might just be remembering wrong in order to like subconsciously suit my narrative. Who knows? Um, what else we have here? Lifting the kill no man or kill no human law It definitely makes sense to me in this case You know, if what we know about Mora's sixth life, I think it was It was the last one that they shared with us there We know that post-humanity is kind of the thing, right? We're not sure if the children are the same post-humans as the ones who took over during Mora's sixth life But it stands to reason that Xavier and Mora would want to do whatever they could to stop them in their tracks just in case, right? You know, uh, kind of nip it in the bud here So yeah, maybe maybe this was my main takeaway And uh, I don't know what it says that my main takeaway was a friggin' info page But uh, I guess it, it is what it is I think, I mean, I think that's probably all I got to say about this one It was mostly a fight scene with just a few little bits uh, You know, bits and bobs dropped into into the lore here really sorry to come down so blah about this but uh you know i tell you what i can't this volume can't wrap up quick enough for me here i'm ready i'm ready for duggan to take over and to and to move us forward right I, i'm very very ready for that here it's you know it feels like um, if we go back to the end of dawn of X right as we were getting closer and closer to uh, to the festival of swords here to x of tens a lot of water treading. Right, a lot of just running in place, killing, burning off pages, so we can get to where we need to get to when story can finally happen again. Reign of X, this this stage of Reign of X, I think Reign of X is going to be multi acts. You know, Uh, right now we're kind of just running in place until the Hellfire Gala, and I feel like the Hellfire Gala is going to be the thing, and then. The month after the Hellfire Gala, we're going to just get like really, really awesome stories. And then as we get closer to whatever the next act end is going to be, we're going to... I mean, this is just comics. This isn't a uh, an X-Men problem. This isn't a Hickman problem. This is just a current year comics thing. We We kind of go into lame duck territory in between or at the tail end right before a crossover or an event or a milestone. So... This is just more of that here, and, uh, I mean, this might just be an indictment on the X-Lapsed process, because if I were to read this and never think about it again, I would have enjoyed it. You know, um, there was action, there was a little bit of information, really, what more can you ask for? But I am a guy who spends... Many, many hours with each of these books So this might just be an X-lapsed problem here Where I'm kind of just scrutinizing it To the point where it really doesn't need to be scrutinized But, um, I mean, it is what it is, right? But, uh, (laughs) that's all I got to say You know, at the risk of just repeating myself That's all I got to say about the issue Now, before we cut out of here I want to do something a little bit different I think it was, I think it was last episode Uh, I got a letter from Evan Who had reminded me of, uh the Mr. Sinister Thunderbird DNA thing Which reminded me of How much fun we had discussing the Sinister Secrets pages Early, early, early in this run here And it's been almost almost two years, right? I mean, it was the end of the summer of 2019 Here we're about to go into the summer, 2021 uh, At least in Arizona, we're getting into the summer um, But it's been a long time since we've revisited these things here And I thought it would be fun to go through... I think there are 15 of them But I think it would be fun to go through the 15 And see what has played out And what maybe hasn't played out yet So let's do that here Sinister Secrets Revisited Now, the first ones are from Powers of X number 4 Which we covered in X-Lapsed episode 8 Way back in the day Now, secret one is And and I'm just going to read these out here And then we'll discuss them He's trying to pretend that no one noticed he was wearing red shoes, but this truly Sinister Sinister isn't fooling anyone. Now, like I said, we recently discussed this, uh, when it was theorized to have been playing off a coloring error in X-Men number 94 or thereabouts, in which Thunderbird was depicted as wearing red shoes. Now, a Sinister secret revealed on this very page states that Sinister got his mutant gene from Thunderbird's DNA. So that's something we did just recently discuss, and it's a very, very fun theory. And it is worth noting that Mr. Sinister was depicted as wearing red shoes in Cable Number 6, which uh, we covered, uh, I probably should have wrote down the episode we covered it in, but it wasn't too terribly long ago. Uh, Secret 2. And speaking of fashion, the Whisper Network has turned into a roar regarding the return of a trend-setting mutant who was cut down in his prime. Now, back when we discussed this the first time, I theorized that this might have to do with Jumbo Carnation. And yeah, as we've seen, mostly in Marauders, Jumbo Carnation is definitely a thing again. And with the upcoming Hellfire Gala, he will be more front and center than probably ever before and probably ever again. Now, that is secret two. Secret three is, years ago, a deceased redhead pretender made a pact with the devil. I mean, that has got to be Madeline Pryor, whose story we saw play out to its end, at least for now, in the first arc of Hellions. And I suppose we could joke that maybe what they're talking about here is like an amalgamation of Mary Jane and the Scarlet Witch. You know, the red hair, uh, one made the pact with the devil, and the other they call a pretender all the time. But, I, yeah, I don't, don't think that's it at all. Secret number four. While every sinister has been busy wondering how they might be affected by current events, almost no one noticed what washed to A word of advice to all things sinister, don't embrace the revelry, or there'll be there won't be anything for you to celebrate. And this one's a little unclear here, but I think it might be a reference to that Wetworks team that we saw in X Force number one. I mean they did interrupt a party before killing Professor X, so I wonder if that is a uh, what they're discussing here. Secret five, he's the best there is at what he does. She's married with a kid. The husband knows exactly what's going on, but who is he to point the finger? With what what we know, uh, this is most likely a reference to the open relationship going on at Summerhouse, um, and the husband Scott can't point fingers because I mean he was unfaithful himself. Secret six, hey, that was a that was a comic book, wasn't it? Uh, everyone believed that the plan of this progerian mutant with a sin- with a secret sinister ties was foiled But little did the gifted ones know that the destroyed samples were switched out beforehand Now, as posited the first time we discussed this, the progerian mutant in question is Ernst and She's that you know, young mutant who looks kind of like an old lady Or exactly like an old lady Now, what this is is a callback to a story from the Spider-Man and the X-Men miniseries from several years back, wherein Sinister used Ernst to gather mutant DNA, which, from this Sinister secret, we know Mr. Sinister still has. And we also know that he's got a black market clone farm going on, so, I mean, that all stands to reason. Secret Seven Two brothers jumped out of a plane, and for the longest time, until he was discovered, many wondered if there was a third. If we told you with there were more, would you believe me? Probably not. I mean, of course, this is a third Summer's Brothers reference. Um, that third brother, of course, was revealed as being Vulcan during Deadly Genesis. And now we know, from X-Men Legends, that there was, in fact, more than three, because Adam X is their half-brother. So maybe we do need to cover X-Men Legends on the show. Huh. Didn't think that was going to happen, but uh, maybe. Secret 8. For years, this fittest-of-all mutant has routinely surrounded himself with a particular numbered entourage. These hangers-on stick around for a while until they're eventually replaced with newer, more exciting members. What most people don't know is that if the original members returned, these pretenders would be dropped so fast their heads would spin. And, I mean, this is... Certainly a mention to uh, Apocalypse's original Four Horsemen, You know his children, who we met uh, pretty, pretty well during the Festival of Swords here. Secret 9. They say the kids are all right, but all is not right in Paradise. This non-couple couple has been apart so long, friends are expecting that when they see each other again, fireworks are going to ensue. Is the universe ready? Judging by how unprepared everyone was for what's happened so far... We kind of doubt it, and I think when we talked about this the first time, just the mention, the mere mention of young and fireworks was, uh, oh, it's jubilee, right? I really have no idea what they're talking about here. If anybody has any ideas, or if I'm missing something completely blatantly obvious, please <laughs> let me know your thoughts. Secret ten. Which brainwashed mutant sinister was replaced long before a certain bald somebody knew and has been in on the game for almost as long as the game was being played? Shhh. That's another one I'm not so sure about. Uh, now, Sinister Secrets Revisited Continued. Uh, this is from Marauders Number One. We discussed this one in X Lapsed Episode 14. Secret 11. Wisp is on the wind that a certain mutant Undergoing a new phase of their life Is sitting on quite an offer It won't last, but I wonder if they'd be surprised To know they were not the first Nor the second choice Perhaps the third time's the charm Now Call Me Kate was chosen as the Red Queen Of the Hellfire Corps Or Corp, I guess Uh, She wasn't the first choice because that was Storm And Storm turned it down I don't know who the second choice was Did uh, did they mention it, and I just forgot? Or it probably doesn't even matter. Um, Now, the secret suggests that this won't last. I'm not sure if this is a reference to Call Me Kate's death in Marauder's Number Six, or if she's going to be either ousted or quit sometime yet to come. And it almost begs the question here: Does this mean that Sinister can see the future? I don't know. Secret Twelve. Humanity's health and well-being was never a popular topic around Boss Sinister. But now that Cohen medicines are keeping us afloat, we probably ought to pay attention to the changing of the tides at Hellfire Bay. We hear that one of the seas, to be carefully navigated, is deep and red. So more foreshadowing of Call Me Kate's death, maybe? Um, so again, I gotta ask, is Sinister something of a precog? Because I thought we weren't allowed to have those... Or maybe this is just Scuttlebutt. Maybe he just is, uh, he knows what Shaw's up to because Shaw told him. I I really, really don't know. This might just be a uh, a behind-the-scenes, between-the-panels sort of a uh, revelation. Secret 13. Speaking of the black and white, not everyone got their invite. Quite a faux pas. I hope there's not a fight. Now, there have been recently some rumblings about Harry Leland. So maybe this is a reference to him Uh, Might even be a reference to Donald Pierce Who we know is now part of the verendi Madraporian government You know, he was part of Hellfire And uh, doesn't look like he was invited To, you know, to the reunion here Secret number 14 Humans wearing sheets Always lead to trouble Who are these kooky new looky-loos Crowding our gates? I'm guessing that's the Order of X cult Probably Secret 15 we hear the slow boat is built to catch all eyes, but it's the one under the radar that's really turning heads. Now, I feel like this might be a reference to Christian Frost's Not a Ship Ship or Not a Boat Boat, which always seems to be uh, taking different forms. Uh, sometimes it is a boat. Sometimes it's a UFO. Uh, and I mean, every time we see it, it's we're told it's not what it looks like. And I think we... I think we theorized, like, way back in the day That this might have something to do with the Academy X-era character Mercury Uh, Just from, you know, the shimmeriness of this uh, Of whatever Christian Frost is calling his boat I don't remember what it was exactly Uh, Now that's it for the ones in uh, Marauders number 1 But we have Sinister Secrets continued yet again In Marauders number 8 Which was X-Lapsed episode... Something or another, I don't know um, yeah. Secret 16 Shade for one I respect the power move, but come on If I can make a meeting, anyone can Come on, Kay And, uh, you know, at this point Kitty hasn't been making quiet council meetings Because she's been far too busy Being dead uh, And This was being kept a Hellfire secret at the time So I'm guessing that's what this is a reference to And this is, of course, Marauders number 8 Two issues after Kate dies Secret 17 Waitlisted by Jumbo, a few of my thirsty patrons' quenching thirsts have been quizzical about a certain quirky Q that can't quite catch his quarry. We hear he's blaming his wardrobe. It does make the man. Perhaps it's time for a fabulous cape. Well, just a handful of episodes ago, we did see quirky Quentin Quire trying on some new clothes at Jumbo's boutique. All the while talking about how he's kind of tired of dying all the time. So, maybe... You know, clothes do make the man. Sinister mentions fabulous capes here, and yeah, it's been pretty well established to this point that the man is uh, a little bit obsessed. Secret number 18. Make more mutants, they said. Now be honest, who did you have crossing the finish line first? Probably a pretty redhead or a blonde. Well, nobody got this one right. Congrats to the former stinger. Good luck with with that baby bump. If the kid turns out to be interesting, bring him by Krakoa. And, uh, yes, Sinister's right. Nobody got this one right because nobody cares about Stinger or Pauly. Amerta or Umerta, is that what we called him? Omerta? Oh, I don't know. Now this story is, of course, still playing out in the pages of Cable. Uh, the child was kidnapped by the Order of X, who turned out to be clones of Cable created by Strife or something. Secret number 19, the final secret. Mira Mira on the wall, who are the grossest mutants of them all? No, not the Morlocks. Don't punch down, muties. Well, it's not for me to say, but keep your eyes on a swivel, and you may spot them when you think you're seeing double. And this one, I mean, the Sinister Secret was immediately revealed as being Fenris on the very same page. And yeah, we know they suck. So that's uh, about it. But uh, those are the 19 Sinister Secrets here. If anybody has any thoughts on those, please feel free to reach out. There were a few I didn't... I still don't know the answers to uh, that we either haven't been explained or I'm just uh, a little bit more dense than I give myself credit for. But that'll do it for today. If uh, you'd like to reach out about anything, please feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrissoninfiniteearths.com. You can talk to us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. Today we're talking about times we walked away from the X-Books uh, and why. And uh, it's a pretty fun conversation. and uh, It's just waiting for your input. But uh, that, again, that is 90s X-Men on Facebook. Finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Available anywhere you find noise. But uh, that'll do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing some time with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.